Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash buy beer online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it. And they do. Now, it's Texans All Access. Presented by First Community Credit Union. Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. So excited to have you tuning in tonight. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you, joined by the General John McClain. Brandon on the board producing, and we've got a good one for you tonight. As we've got a good one brewing on Sunday with the Texans and the Green Bay Packers at NRG Stadium. Johnny, good evening. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay, Mark. How are you doing? Um, so good. Just so good <laughs> talking football. It is great. And look, I would like a better record, but hey, sure. you got to start somewhere. Maybe it starts Sunday. Maybe you go on a little winning streak. How about that? Yeah, who knows? Let's order yeah, one of nice. those up. And let's welcome in the General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. General, how are you? Well, I got to warn you guys, I've just finished a column on the defense. <laughs> oh, so maybe way better to talk about the column I wrote for today about how great Deshaun Watson and the passing game is working because it is these last four games. Watson right now, he's going for 300 yards for the fourth game in a row, first time in his career, five games in a row with at least a nine-yard average per attempt. He leads the league in average per attempt. Texans second and 20-plus uh, pass plays to Dallas is 28. They have 27. So this offense, this passing game, not the offense because there's still terrible running. This passing game is working, and they showed Sunday. If you can go to Tennessee and you're good enough to beat the Titans, which they didn't do because of the defense, but if you're good enough to beat the Titans up there, you're good enough if Watson is playing the way he's capable and has been. You're capable, capable of beating anybody. And these last th three losses, beginning in Pittsburgh, were one-score defeats in which if the defense had just played a little better, this team might have three or four victories. Yeah, John, you had the lead going into the fourth quarter in three of the games so far, and the Texans only able to win one of them. But uh, discussing this offense, I agree with you. You are capable of winning games with an offense like this. Do you think they just sort of give in, not give in, but assign themselves to the identity of being a pass type of team instead of trying to establish the run all the time and i think establish the run is just such a cliche they want to run the ball but how do you think they'll see it going forward knowing that they do throw it so well yeah and i want to weigh 182 uh i think that they established last year when they were ninth in rushing eighth year before 
that uh, they like to run, but Bill O'Brien called fewer running plays than any time in his career as he put the onus on Watson, and rightfully so. And a big part of that running success the last two years was Watson. He's running a whole lot less than he has been, and that's got to be by design. You know, we'll see him take off every once in a while on a, on a chance to pitch the ball or keep it, but most of the time when he's running, it's because he doesn't find – people down the field now Aaron Rodgers I remember in 2017 Sean Ryan the offense uh, the quarterbacks coach told us that he was showing Watson quarterbacks who when they moved always kept their eyes down the field and we asked him who was number one and he said Aaron Rodgers because that's what he's so good at so Watson is doing more of that and he's throwing the ball down the field better than he ever has to lead the league in average per attempt. Last year, he was less than eight yards on average per attempt. And I'll tell you something else. Um, on first down against Tennessee, 14 of 18 for 188 yards. Now, I know you can't run on every first down play. And I remember back when uh, I covered the Oilers and they had to run and shoot, and Warren Moon had all these great receivers and Every, people expected them to pass so much. They had a thousand yard runner, most on draw plays. And so if Watson is playing so well and they expect him to throw, you know, you don't run the draw anymore because you're not under center enough, but uh, let David Johnson run when they don't expect it, not when they do expect it because they have struggled to run the ball on first down all season. John, I am so tired of watching this defense Go into business for itself. And what I mean by that is 10 guys doing the right thing, one guy doing the wrong thing, and it turning into a 94-yard touchdown run. But you said you wrote an article about the defense, so I'm going to put you under the gun. I, I know how that article went. I want you to tell me one good thing about this defense. Tell me one good thing I can hang my hat on about this defense. There is only one good thing about this defense. They weren't the first four games, no turnovers. The last two games, they've had four. And one of the things that is so exasperating for Anthony Weaver and my lead on my column tomorrow said he doesn't make any excuses uh, for his defense being one of the worst in the NFL in his first season as coordinator. You know, he takes he took all the blame today, which is noble, but of course not his fault. And um, the good thing, they had two turnovers, Bradley Roby's interception, wide strip sack, and Jacob Martin did a great job getting that fumble recovery that Watt created because the Titans had three guys all over it, and he got it. And then Justin Reed, who hadn't made a lot of big plays, made one on blocking that field goal, and Watson in the offense capitalized with touchdowns, not field goals, every time. So it makes you think now, okay, if the defense can keep this up the way the offense is going, then they're going to score more touchdowns and they can win some games. And after this Green Bay game, now I'm not saying they're going to win, Packers just went and lost 38-10 at Tampa, but the Bucks have the number one defense of the league, number one run defense of the league, and this is the 30th defense and the 32nd pass defense. But if Watson gets in a shootout with Rodgers, they got a chance to win, and they have the bye week, and then they got Jacksonville. Over the second half of the season, they played Detroit and Cleveland and Cincinnati and Indy twice, and I still think the Texans are capable of beating Indianapolis. And the last game here is Tennessee, and if the Titans have their playoff seating secured, maybe Mike Vrabel will have mercy 
on the Texans defense and rest Derrick Henry to keep him from going for 200 yards against them for a third consecutive game, which is unprecedented in NFL history. So I still believe as long as Watson is standing, this team is capable of winning five or six, maybe seven more games and saving saving some saving some of their pride, which right now I'd be surprised if they have any when they're one in five tied with Minnesota is the most disappointing teams in the NFL. Yeah, and Minnesota beat the Texans, but I almost think, I don't know, I I, hate, I don't want to debate who's more disappointing. That's uh, not an <laughs> argument or a debate I want to get into. All right, Gen- General John McClain is with us. John, the talk this week outside the building has been on, oh, the trade deadline's coming, November 3rd. Something else is happening that day, too. I can't remember what it is. But uh, November 3rd is the NFL trade deadline. And what are your thoughts on all the chatter outside of the organization about, well, you need to dump players and get picks and whatever. I mean, do they really have this kind of mindset, in your opinion? No. And first of all, I don't care what's chattering outside. I want to know what's chattering inside. Now, everybody's talking about, well, he's to trade J.J. Watt. Well, J.J.'s got one more year left on his contract. He'll be 32 years old. He can still play. He showed us in the game Sunday. You know, he, he and P.J. Hall, I thought, had the best games. P.J. Hall turned out to be a great find. Aaron Wilson is writing about him tomorrow in the Chronicle. It'll also be on Texas Sports Nation. And so um, I would there are I would call if I was uh, Jack Easterby, I'd call every team in the league and I'd say, hey, uh, we got a tight end. It was third round pick last year, Holly Waring, who uh, is OK. Would you be interested in trading for him? And so well, he hadn't played for you. And I say, you know, that was Bill. That's not us. We love the guy, but we got three other tight ends here and find somebody that give him a pick Kenny Stills last year of his contract if they trade trade Kenny as soon as they do some receiver will get hurt you know there's no way these guys are going to stay healthy all season and they got four but if they like rookie Isaiah Coulter if they think Kiki QT might actually get on the field get on the field before the season is over and uh, or DeAndre Carter he can play in a slot then maybe they see what they could get for Kenny Stills because I don't expect Kenny back here next year. And uh, but as far as unloading players, I mean, number one, you got to look at things like contract situations. You know, Whitney Merciless, Whitney didn't start at that game because they wanted to beef up against the run. Did they have a young outside linebacker? Would they want to play Jacob Martin full time? Uh, uh, Brennan Scarlett, somebody need a big strong strong side linebacker, guys like that. But, you know, Zach Cunningham's not playing well, but he's not going anywhere. And uh, so I I don't think they can't afford to trade a defensive back, and I wouldn't trade one of my top receivers because uh, I just wouldn't. And I, so I don't expect them to have a fire sale at all. And I'm not sure they would get back in a fire sale what they really would want, which would be yep. a first – uh, and or a second round pick anyways. John, I've I've watched this the, in particular this last game, but I've seen the other two games, um, Minnesota and Jacksonville. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about the offensive line after the first couple of games. I know they have not run the ball exceptionally well, but, John, I'm going to make a statement that I want you to refute or go with it. The offensive line has actually moved people up front and I don't want to say done its job 100%, but done its job well enough that they should be running for at least 100 yards a game. 
The uh, interior line, I don't think, has done a good job of run blocking. I think Laramie Tunsil's playing great. Titus Howard's – Titus, they moved Clowney over there to rush against Titus a lot, and he still didn't have a sack. Had one tackle for loss. I thought Clowney's going to get his first sack or two because he'd be highly motivated. And they've been fortunate to play the Jaguars, and the Titans' defense is not very good. They went in among the worst in the league, especially stopping the run. But um, – I right now and people are killing David Johnson and I'm not saying he's the answer. And I do think running back be a priority next season, but if he were to get 111 yards in this game, which I don't think he will, but if he did, he'd be tied with Carlos Hyde of where Carlos was this time last year. They both right now have three touchdowns each. Carlos had three at this point, but Carlos had 12 more carries and uh, I think 80 something more yards. So, Uh, what Johnson needs to do, they keep running him up the middle. And Tim Kelly pointed this out today. I think three of the handoffs were in short yardage situations where he got first downs. And so it wasn't like it was first and 10. He was stuffed for one. That's what drives me crazy is David Johnson first down up the middle for two yards when I'm thinking you could go with Watson. And when are you guys going to ask me about the two-point conversion? Uh, well, we'll ask you about the two-point conversion right now, as a matter of fact. Well, what thank you, Mark, conversion? for bringing that up. Yeah. I see these nincompoops around the country <laughs> killing Romeo Cornell <laughs> for going yeah, for ridiculous. two. And, and they're saying the percentages, and I wrote, the percentages have not seen this defense. <laughs> I, would, I thought that was the smartest thing. And I tell people I've had to do a lot of talk shows, and they're just killing Romeo. And I say, okay, let me guys ask, let you ask you something. You got Deshaun Watson's playing great. He's got the Titans defense on the ropes. You can play for two yards to win the game with Watson, or do you trust your defense, which is terrible, to keep them from scoring a touchdown and a two-point conversion? So they proved everybody that thought it was the smart thing to do, even though it didn't work because Jeffrey Simmons made a great play and other teams do make plays, was they went 76 yards and 82 yards on their last two drives, and they didn't have one third down play except the game-winning play. The Wildcats snapped to Derrick Henry on third down for five yards, and the Texans practiced it, and then they act like they'd never seen it. And so why anybody would think they shouldn't go for the win there with Watson instead of trusting this defense is beyond me. Yeah, I'm with you, John. I mean, I really felt like that was the right play. There's no question about it. Uh, Here's another question, though. Let's say it was the end of regulation. And if you kick it, you're going to overtime and you put your fate in the coin toss gods, or you can go for two right there and win it. Would you go for two at the buzzer as opposed to having the time left on the clock and, you know, you're up? Let's like see. It was I'm for Rome- a win or a tie to kick the extra point, not a full okay, time. I'm, I'm Romeo Cornell, and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, okay, I've coached defense my whole life. I got five Super Bowl rings coaching defense, and so I know this defense. I'm going for two to win. And if he didn't okay. make it, so what? What's he playing for? What's the point of even if, if you get a touchdown, of course, and it's possible if you win the coin toss, there's good chance they're going to go down and win the game too because sure. Watson and the receivers were having such a good game. But Romeo has proved to be a riverboat gambler, three for three on fourth down, touchdown. I think he would have gone for it in that situation. I have no problem with it. This team's one in five. I have said for – Uh, this season and last season put the ball in Watson's hands and third down 
put the ball in Watson's hands when it's a crucial situation. If it doesn't work, no regrets. You tried it with your best player. But if you're going to give it to David Johnson uh, on third down at the four-yard line or something like that, that's not how you win. Win or lose with Watson because he is your best player. That's what happened in Tennessee, and Jeffrey Simmons spoiled it. More power to him and Mike Vrabel. They had a great game. But I have no problem with that, and I would not have a problem if they had gone for two to win the game in the situation that you brought up, Mark. I just want to see you fight it out with O.J. Simpson, uh, who had the opposite take, and that was you take the point there. You don't be stupid, I think, as the juice says. So, um, you know, John, you're on the other side of O.J. Simpson. What are you so following O.J. Simpson? I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I was listening to Sean and Seth, and I think they both follow O.J. Simpson. I couldn't I care less what the juice him. says. I don't look at him. I don't <laughs> give him any the respect. He murdered two people. I, w- I don't mention his name. I just wanted, I just wanted you to know who's on the other side of you. But uh, on the other hand, um, you know, at that point, as long but, as he's John, not behind me with a knife, I'm okay. Well, yeah, yeah, you're gonna be okay, John. Uh, you've now seen the Ch- the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Titans uh, up close and personal. You've seen the Steelers up close and personal, John. People argue those are four of the five best teams in the league. Where do you think the Titans kind of fit into the mix? Because if you make one play at the end, you lose to a one and four team at home. What do you think and where do you think the Titans fit into that whole top five, top ten mix this year? Well, they barely beat three teams early in the season that are terrible. They've only had one great game. That was against Buffalo, and they had a great offensive game against the Texans. Pittsburgh, Big Ben, ten touchdowns, one interception. He's not beating them. James Conner's been healthy so far. Their defense is great. It's the best defense. Baltimore's is the second-best defense. Um I want ask me this question next week, John, when we see okay. the Steelers and Titans play in Nashville. I still would not go against Kansas City because Mahomes, Andy Reid, they're hot. You know, they haven't played great early this year, but they they, they weren't great early last year either. And then they started got out over the second half of the season. And so there's there you got Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. Those teams are all capable of winning it. But and Tannehill is playing really well. Usually he doesn't have to throw for 300 yards, but he did in this game because they were behind. And they were put in a catch-up mode, which they had not been in before, and he did a tremendous job. John McClain joining us. All right, so what's our latest temperature take of the Indianapolis Colts here, General, after falling behind 21 nothing to the Bengals, who – it looks like they can give people a game. There's no question about that. They might be uh, a tough out later on when the Texans take them on. But what about the Colts right now? It seems like Rivers is a little Jekyll and Hyde, and that's not unusual for him. That's a great way to put it. Five touchdowns, six interceptions coming in. He threw three touchdowns, 371 yards, and looked like the Phillip Rivers who went against the Texans last year and almost pulled it out against them and had a, had a great game. So, uh He's too up and down. Their offensive line is not playing like it is because they're struggling to run the ball. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's a rookie, and he gained like 60-something yards, but T.Y. Hilton's been hurt. He hasn't stepped up. He probably will wait. He's waiting for the Texans, of course, and uh, their defense has been great. I can't figure it. I didn't see that coming. Matt Airbuffless is a defensive coordinator. I put on my list in what I wrote yesterday about – possible coaching uh coaching candidates for cal mcnair and i said add arthur smith to the titans but eberfluss has done a great job 
And Indianapolis has done a great job, but they look like they're capable of losing to anybody. They got beat by the they got beat by the Jaguars, and then they barely beat Cincinnati. So I think the Texans are definitely capable of splitting with them, like they always seem to do. Okay, John, I've got uh, two things: one one statement, one question. Number one, when you do your coaching hire uh, right up next. Throw in the name Josh McCown and see what kind of reaction you get. Because I think Josh McCown, I don't know about head coach, but maybe coming in with as a coordinator with somebody, I would love Josh McCown to some way, coach. shape, or form coaching for the Houston Texans in some way, shape, or form. Josh McCown, I would love that. Secondly, the Packers, 38-10 to last week against the Bucks. The run game got nothing. Rodgers looked flustered. They blitzed the heck out of him. What Packers team do you think we've got coming Sunday and take on the Texans? Texans really struggle on blitzing. How many times we see DBs come running in there and then they disappear like it's the Bermuda Triangle. You'd like to think the Packers, maybe this is where they hit the wall and reality sets in and not getting the receivers for Aaron Rodgers finally starts to hurt them and the Texans do their second-best defensive job of the season to the Jaguars when it comes to the run and maybe Rodgers struggles and – but, you know, what are the odds of that? I don't think they're very good. Are the Texans capable of winning? Sure they are. Spread's only three. This is going to come down to Watson and, Watt and Rogers, And it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun watching these two guys, a Hall of Famer versus a kid who said he's extra excited going up against Rogers because he's been watching him all these years. I can't stress how well – Watson is playing right now. Tim Kelly has a lot to do with that. If they could somehow run for about 110, 15 yards a game like they did last year, it would help him so much. But, hey, that's why he's getting paid the big bucks, right? Right. So, what about McCown? By the way, Josh McCown, I think, would be a good quarterback coach. You know, I wouldn't as a coordinator when he hadn't done it, but I'd let him work his way up. But I kind of like T.J. Yates. T.J. is coaching mm. – He's spending a lot of time working with Watson, and Tim Kelly is the quarterback coach and a play caller, and he deserves a lot of credit. But I'll guarantee you T.J. Yates has got something to do with it, and we're going to see him be an offensive coordinator soon and maybe even a head coach down the line. Oh, that'd be very cool for him. John, the uh, candidates, and never mind for the Texans' job, but in general, give me the, in general, general, the top three guys who will be on the market. Is it as transparent as Biennemi and Smith and Eberflus, or give me a, give me your top three. I I would say Eric Biennemi, number one. I think Greg Roman will finally get a head coaching job because Baltimore's offense is versatile. It uh, Lamar Jackson's not killing people the way he did last year, and they're still great. He runs the ball. Arthur Smith has the most balanced offense in the league. He's been there with four coaches, and Vrabel promoted him to offensive coordinator last year. He's been terrific. Brian Dayball of Buffalo, uh, I don't think anybody should hold it against him that the Bills have lost two in a row, but people say he's on his way. Somebody I would not rule out is Todd Bowles just because he had a losing record with the Jets. One year he won 10 games. He's one of the best defensive coordinators ever. He's reunited with Bruce Arians, and he is doing a great job for the Buccaneers. Matt Eberflus, we mentioned earlier, Wink Martindale from the Ravens is another guy everybody's talking about as head coaching candidate. So there's not going to be a shortage. The key is 
other teams like Atlanta's also looking for a GM. Atlanta and Houston, to me right now, are the two best jobs because they have they have ownership that provides a lot of money. They hire the best people. They've both been incredibly patient. They give them the money. They want to know what's going on, but they don't tell them what to do. You know, Cal McNair doesn't step in and said, hey, do not trade DeAndre Hopkins. He said, okay, maybe he didn't agree with it, but I'm paying you guys to make this decision. And that's the kind of job and ownership that a general manager and a coach want to work for. So they're going to be in competition with the Falcons for GMs and head coaches, and I'd be interviewing them right now if they're available to interview and picking everybody's brains about my team. General, what do you have going on in the Houston Chronicle? I'm writing this column about defense tomorrow. Aaron Wilson's writing about P.J. Hall and talked to his high school and his college coaches. That kid is playing very well. We've got our podcasts up there. And be sure our TV show on Channel 2 after Sports Sunday, the Texas Sports Nation, is there every week. Thank you guys very much, and I'll see you Sunday. See you Sunday. I thought it was a newspaper, the Houston Chronicle. TV, podcasts. Dining? No, they don't have dining, I don't think. They have a dining section. All right, John Harris sticks around. Let's talk about this game, some of the other stuff going on around the National Football League. Did we get a Sunday flex in the middle of a week prior to that Sunday? Like, boom, we're just going to move a game to Sunday? Yes, we did. And it is coming up, that information for you, next here on Texans Radio. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Okay. Boy, you never know what they're going to make a promo about. Um, Anthony Weaver saying the run defense is atrocious. I guess he used the word, Johnny. So Yeah, he did. Uh, I remember when I asked him that answer. question. I answered that. I, I remember asking that question, and, and I remember hearing him say run game is atrocious. I was like, oh, I, I didn't want him to go there. I didn't want, I didn't want yeah. him to say that, but, you know, he's – He's been right. But here, here's the thing, Mark. Hey, can, can, I, can I vent for just a, a quick second? Vent. Vent. Okay. And, I, and, you know, football, one of the things I love about football is when to, to win football games and to be successful on particular plays and to do that over and over and over again to win games, you need all 11 guys to do the right thing at the right time. And, Mark, there are times when all 11 guys do the right thing that they're supposed to do, that they're coached to do. This defense stuffs Derrick Henry. It makes plays at the line of scrimmage. It one or two yard gains in the run game. But then somebody hops out of a gap. Somebody, for, for whatever, I, I don't know why, somebody hops out of a gap. You know, a linebacker um, steps into somebody else's gap that's already occupied by three different players, and then he hangs there, and he can't get back over to the gap he's supposed to be in. Like, how do you – like, that's the thing that bugs me, is that, yes, the run defense is atrocious. And so the first thought is – what's the first thought? Oh, well, the guys must be getting blown off the ball. If anything, Mark, the defensive tackles in this defense, yeah, they get pushed around a little bit because they're not the biggest guys in the world. But – those guys are doing everything humanly possible to hold the ground that they can and to be responsible for the gaps they're responsible for. And, they're, I mean, P.J. Hall has played his guts out. Ross Blacklock, when he went in the game the other day, you know, we told us he was in for 24 plays. He did a whale of a job, I thought, in the, the plays That's that I've good. seen Ross Blacklock play. Brandon Dunn 
fight his guts out. Brandon Dunn is the kind of guy you can rely on to have his job done every single play. Now, Brandon's given up, in certain cases, 10, 12, 15 pounds to interior guys, but he'll hold up a number of times. The interior is not what's hurting this team. The interior is not what's hurting this team. I want to say that a couple of times because I know that's what people think. Like, oh, the interior is killing this team. No, it's not. The interior is actually playing pretty darn well. That if you had your second-level guys playing at the same pace and rate that the, the interior guys are playing, you'd have a top-10 run defense. But they're not. Let me ask you this. All right, what about, let's say, Grenard, right? I'm not saying mm-hmm. that he's the answer, but clearly, you know, and people ask me about this third-round pick, I just think that it's got to be something where, you know, they see him every day, right? Yeah. You know, if, if Grenard was Lawrence Taylor in practice, I don't think they're holding him out, you know, like, oh, we can't right, play right. him. Uh, so, and I don't know, you know, you and I talked about this off the air, I believe, and, and I don't know if it was a rhetorical question, but, you know, obviously he missed time in camp and he was banged up a little bit early. Yeah. So how do you prove yourself in right. these practices which are getting less and less physical as the weeks go on? And you can prove that you know your assignment, but you got to prove that you have juice and that when you yep. get in the game, you're going to make plays. I don't know how a young guy does it, but it's been done before, so I don't really know the answer to that question. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I think, I think you're right. I think it is, is partly rhetorical, but I think here's the thing, and, and you could see it with Ross in the first couple games, and I remember we talking about this too, and that was playing, especially in the Big 12, Playing defense tackle in the Big 12 and playing defense tackle in the NFL are different worlds. They're almost like they're two different games of football. So Ross has to learn how to play the NFL way, and I think he's learning that. What I saw against the Titans shows that that young man is learning that aspect of things. They ran this awesome tackle-tackle stunt with Ross Blacklock and P.J. Hall, and I'm like, I love that. I mean, Ross – Jumped inside. He took the guard in the center with him. PJ popped on the other side and was wide open and making a tackle or helping an attack for no gain. I'm like, I like that. So you have athletes that you can do that with. But I think with what Ross is learning now by getting those reps on the field is this is how you play the NFL way. This is how you're supposed. This is how you're supposed to do it. And I think he's learning that, and I think that's good. I think John Grenard getting behind the eight ball by being hurt and then not getting those reps where you can prove yourself. And I think this is this is one of the things that I think young players miss the most. They look at it and go, okay, well, I'm not playing. And they don't look at scout team as an opportunity. Whereas if they went over to scout team and said, I'm going to go get one of these starting jobs because I'm going to bust my you-know-what on the scout team and I'm going right. to tear it up. I'm going to tear it up. I like um, that. Be Rudy. You're right. playing too hard. You're making us look bad. You know, yeah. you want Vince Vaughn so coming at you saying, hey, stop showboating out there. You're making right. us look bad. Or who and, was and, it, Putty? Was that Putty and Rudy? Is no. He in it? no who's, I don't the, think, who's the big lineman who's like, hey, listen, he confronts Rudy in the parking lot because you know Rudy's who that been is? practicing it's the, too hard. Yeah, he's the guy from the program, and I can't remember his name, um, oh. but it's not Putty. Okay. Either way, I think with Grenard – when you watch him, you see the size, you see the twitch. I think what John has to learn is playing the game out on an NFL edge. Again, going back to it's different than college. What you're asked to do is different in college because they're going to zone read you. They're going to option off of you. There, there are certain things you're doing in college that you have to do, and you rep and rep and rep and rep. 
that you're not going to have to rep in the NFL. And, you know, this week Aaron Rodgers isn't going to zone read. You know, he's going to option pitch off you more than likely. You know, but you have to learn how to set the edge and use your hands. And I remember uh, in year three, I remember Whitney. I remember Vrabel just hammering that over and over and over and over with he and Clowney. That's how you set the edge. I mean, I would just see Whitney like, man, I'm not doing anything right. And then by about halfway through the year, you saw the light go on for Whitney. Like, he's setting the edge. He's playing it well. He's using his hands well. It takes a little while for that to happen. And I think once we do see John, he's probably going to make some of those mistakes where he's going to think he's got the edge set. He's going to peek inside. He'll get pinned inside. You know, those Uh, things are going to happen, I would think, early. But if he can work himself through it, you've got a twitchy athlete that can go get the quarterback uh, and do those things. But right now, the second level is really hurting this team. Really, really hurting this team. Johnny, there are 10 teams with one or fewer victories in the NFL right now. <laughs> it's odd. And, and you're going to give me which team has the best shot of these teams. This is where we are right now at 1-5. Which team has the best shot of making a run, okay? Making okay. a run. Now, I'm going to eliminate the NFC East winner because that's just you. not fair to everybody else. Because okay, the leader of that division has two victories, right? So if you're going to say, oh, it's the Eagles, well, they're one game off of first place to win the division right now at one, four, and one. How about the Giants are one in five, and so are the Washington football team members at one in five, and they're only a game back. This is like the AFC South in 2015, right? So this would be beautiful. But let's go here. In the AFC, 0-6 Jets, 1-4 Chargers. Maybe. One in four Bengals. No. One in five Texans, one in five Jags. There's the AFC bunch. Yeah, I think the Chargers could do it. Um, I don't know if I like get... him, by the way. We haven't talked Justin about Herbert? him much. Yes, him being I Justin wanna... Herbert? Yeah. Mark, when I went to the I, – I, you know, Herbert was the kind of guy that going into – you know, he decided to go back to, to Oregon. And everybody in the NFL scouting world was like, you know, you know he's scared. Oh, he's not a leader. You know, he doesn't like – Mariota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And oh, he, he chose to go back to Oregon. Look, the guy's yeah. from—he grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Like it was—it yeah. was his dream to it's go tough. play for the Oregon Ducks, and so he did. And they did some great things. They played in the uh, stinking Rose Bowl. Um, you know, that was what he wanted to do. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, let's go to the NFL. And Mark, I saw him at the Senior Bowl, and I and I saw he and Josh Allen up close at the Senior Bowl. And I remember coming back from the Senior Bowl thinking that guy's arm is as good as just as Josh Allen's. And I think Josh Allen has the strongest arm in the league. And I, I know people, oh, Patrick Mahomes. No, Patrick Mahomes has the most accurate strongest arm in the league. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen still sprays it. But I watched Justin Herbert throw 25-yard out routes from the opposite sideline, from the opposite hash, other sideline on a rope. And it's, I did the math on him, like, okay, Pythagorean theorem. That's like a 42-yard throw, and he drilled it. But they just – they. They're not winning close games, and I don't think that's Herbert's issue. Um, they just—I don't know if they have any closers. And defensively, they've been playing without Melvin Ingram, and I think that's a, that's a yeah. big, big loss for them. I think he just knows where he wants to go with the football immediately, yeah. and not a lot yep. of young quarterbacks do. Um, You're right, but he's got to get protection. Okay, so NFC. Forget about the East. Yeah, uh, because uh, it's just a disaster. And anybody else? Oh, Vikings at one and five. Our friends from Minnesota and the Falcons at one and five. All right, I just gave you all the one win or fewer Man. teams. I mean, of that of those, I think the Chargers and the Texans would be the two because the the mm-hmm. Texans' schedule 
lightens up a little bit in the second yeah. half. We'll put I that mean, in air we quotes. Able, yeah, yeah, lighten up. I mean, but, but when you think about what the Texans have faced, Chiefs 5-1, and one, Ravens 5-1, and one, the Steelers still undefeated 5-0, and oh, the Titans 5-0. and oh. I mean, those are, oh, four the, the, those are four of the six teams they faced. So yeah. on the flip side of that, yes, you'll face the Titans, but in Week 17, if the Titans, you know, if the Titans are in a position to have clinched this thing, then you know maybe that maybe you're facing maybe the tide turns, and now we're facing their JV team with a shot to get a wild card or whatever the case might be. Who knows? But oh, you boy. have to go. Here's the here's the key to the second half of the season, and that is you better go win in places like Chicago and Detroit. Teams that, yeah, Chicago's got a good record, but how good is Chicago, really? Um, right. Are they kind of on borrowed time? Eh, who knows? But the point being, the Chargers and the Texans are really the only two teams I think could play with the upper echelon and be in games with them. The Vikings and the Falcons, I think they could, depending on what side of the bed Matt Ryan and, and Kirk Cousins wake up on. Um, well, it's, it's got to send a message to the rest of the squad when you trade in Gawkway. You know, yes. Hunter's out, which, you know, that was not unexpected. But it's it's an interesting dynamic going on up there. Johnny, got a break. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Absolutely, Mark. Take care. And I didn't pay off the tease. I will let you know what games being moved to Sunday night. No, it's not the Texans. I got a text already. It's like, are the Texans moving to Sunday night with the Packers? No. No, let me introduce you to network television with the national primetime windows. No, they're not going to do that right now. Although the game might turn out to be certainly worthy of that. In terms of entertainment value, I would not be surprised at all. But on the marquee, the 1-5 in five doesn't look quite as good as it could. Let's just get there. And in 08, what happened? And what's happening this year? Can it happen again? It's Texans Radio. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. With special guest this week, Cecil Shorts third, former Jaguar, current Texans legend. And I really enjoyed having Cecil part of the football team when he played here because, uh, you know, I always liked him in Jacksonville. I always kind of, you know, follow. Uh, how can you not follow guys in the division? And I'm glad he's a Houstonian and he's part of our community. Okay, what did I mention? Oh, yeah, the Sunday night game is going to be. All right, so the Bucks raiders was going to be on Sunday night. But the Raiders literally practiced without without an offensive line two days in a row. Now, Texans fans who have been around from the get-go will get the inside joke here, and I, I'm sure Derek Carr has either talked about it or thought about it because remember going into draft number two, the 03 draft, what does your team need? Uh, they would show Carr with no offensive line. They kind of blot blotted them out they photoshopped the offensive line out because the texans offensive line the first year they gave up a t- uh, record number of sacks 76 against Carr, and the 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 joke was that they needed linemen going into the draft but here are the raiders practicing without an offensive line so i'm sure he must have thought of that commercial because Derek was very aware back in the day even though he was a little kid so i'm sure that came back to his to his noggin. Now, the Seahawks-Cardinals game that was going to be Sunday afternoon is now Sunday nighter, and that looks like a really good one. So NBC wins with this little deal. The Bucks raiders will be Sunday afternoon late, but if it has to get called off or postponed or whatever, no harm, no foul. you still get a Sunday night game. That's why they're doing it. The 08 thing, here it is quickly. In 08, the Texans were 0-4 and 3-7. and I wrote about this yesterday in the Daily Brew. So think about this. They were 0-4 and 3-7, and yet came back and had 
an amazing chance to go nine and seven, which I think this year would actually get you in the postseason. They went eight and eight that year because they lost to Jamarcus Russell and the Raiders in the second to last week of the season. Somehow the Raiders had all that speed at wide receiver. I don't want to call it a look ahead game, but it sure looked like that to me. I think that's outsiders calling those things or describing those kinds of games that way. Uh, I don't know if the players look at it that way, but man, oh man, that was a bizarre afternoon. Anyway, uh, give me a chance at that, please. Give me 7-7 seven and seven after 14. Are you kidding me? All day long. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But, hey, as long as you're playing, why not enjoy the games and hope for it to happen? All right, let's get to this now. Houston Methodist minutes, and every week we talk about what injuries are we going to discuss. And as you know, lately we've branched out a little bit. I wanted to go back to COVID because I wanted Dr. Wesley Long to set the record straight. How do you catch this thing? I know it's the droplets in the air. We all know about the distancing. But what about the surfaces? Is it really contagious that way? What is the actual deal here? So I asked him if he could possibly, possibly set the record straight on this. I think I can. or I can tell you sort of the best that we know right now. You know, COVID-19 is a respiratory disease. And it's spread primarily by respiratory droplets. So those are droplets when we cough, when we talk. Uh, that leave our mouth, leave our nose, and travel a short distance, you know, five or six feet. And so that's what leads to all the recommendations for masks, for social distancing, and and those sorts of things. We also know from some other research that uh, the virus can survive on surfaces, some surfaces uh, better than others. Uh, You know, hard, non-porous surfaces tend to be better, uh, things like that. And you know, we also know that uh, it's possible for other respiratory viruses, if they're on a surface, if you touch that surface, the virus very easily will transfer onto your skin. Uh, if you then touch your nose, touch your mouth, touch your eye, uh, you can transmit other viruses that way. It seems like you should probably be able to do the same with the COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, that having been said, it doesn't seem like that's a major mode of transmission for the virus, perhaps because we're all so aware of it right now. We're all washing our hands, hopefully, and doing all the good practices we should be doing. That doesn't seem to be the major driver. Uh, the major driver still seems to be those respiratory droplets and uh, you know situations where people aren't wearing masks, are in a crowded setting, uh, can't socially distance, can't keep that six feet apart. Um, those seem to really be the times when the virus is being transmitted uh, person to person very well. All right, there's Dr. Wesley Long from Houston Methodist, official health care provider of the Houston Texans. Log on to HoustonMethodist.org for more information. Houston Methodist leading medicine. Now, I talked to him for a long time. So what we're going to do is during the bye, we're going to play that entire interview because it's really interesting and, you know, it's great to talk to an expert. You know, I felt like Kramer bringing his dog in when this dog had a similar cough. It's like, wait a minute, if I have symptoms, what am I really looking for here? You know, because I think we've all had those moments where, you know, you have like an allergy sneeze or whatever or a dust sneeze and you're thinking, hachu, covid Do I have it? Everybody's paranoid, and that's just the way it's going these days. Okay, Texans and Packers, Sunday at noon, extra points, Saturday night, 1035, after the late local news on ABC 13, followed by Texans 360. We'll be back on the air tomorrow at 6. Have a great day, everybody, and thank you, Brandon, for producing. Thank you, Johnny and John McClain, for being on. Go Texans!
This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610.